Thanks uh, for that, for praying, Carlos. That that is more important than maybe some of us. Sometimes we, you know, we take that for granted. But I know I don't. Like I, I need prayer, and um, as I speak, and uh, we're gonna get into that a little bit today. Actually, I think I'll probably touch on that. But um, just uh, yeah, welcome here, everyone. Good to see you. Just just some clarification on. Something that I said last week, and I, and I realized after, and then in some communication, it was like, yeah, I, was, I, I thought, I knew what I was saying, but I wasn't clear. So I, I just want to clarify when I said that we're not going to die on the mask hill. Um, what I meant by that is that that issue is not going to cause us to draw a line and oppose what is being asked of us. Recognizing... You know, some of us might not, might not like or agree with the mandates that requires, you know, those who are five and up to wear the masks indoors. But, but this does nothing to hinder us from worshiping Jesus. Yeah. And, and there's nothing in Scripture, actually, that would give us grounds to oppose this. And so, rather, this is, this is my appeal, rather, out of love and care for one another, we have no problem complying uh, with what this, the government has stipulated in this case. And we know, I, I know, there's various opinions on this, and that's okay. But, but we do, we see this as an opportunity to make every effort to strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, and, and that's something that the Lord's been speaking to me. That, like, there's, I want to make every effort. Now, what does that mean? That's going to mean for all of us, on some level, we're going to have to sacrifice and surrender stuff that we might go, I hold to this conviction or to that conviction. And there's going to be stuff in the midst of all this where we're going to have to go, I'm just, I'm going to, I, I want unity in the spirit in the church. And so I, I, I really would appeal to us, take that to heart. How can we be pursuing unity, not division in these days? And so... The other thing is, you know, I, we don't want to police this. We have no desire to be policing this. We have no desire that we're policing one another on this, really. We're, we're just really just wanting to appeal and say, let's, let's, let's have compliance in this, and let's move on to that which is important in these days, and that is our worship of Jesus and reaching the lost. Um, so thank you. Thanks, guys. And, and I, you know, if I was unclear with that last week, uh, I apologize for that because I think there was, I, I wasn't very clear on that. Um, I, I don't know if you, if you ever find yourself stopping and contemplating the seismic shift that we've experienced as the result of technology in the last 10 years. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, like some of us are like, well, I don't, you know, <laughs> some of you kids may be like, I'm not really old enough. And that's, I get that. But like, I don't know, as someone who's like middle-aged, I'm like, it is mind-boggling what's happened in the last 10 years. And I, I just want to, I kind of spent some time thinking about this. Think about like takeout food. Like you went, we went, we've gone from like going through the drive-through to now having specific parking spots for mob, mobile ordering to now you can actually get on your phone and through an app order food. Like I can order a Big Mac right to my house if I'm willing to pay for it. I, and I have no idea what that costs. I have no intentions of doing that. Although that'd be awesome, right? Like sitting watching like whatever Formula One, Daryl, and we're like, I feel like a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Think about groceries. Like we've gone like now you can pick and buy 
all your groceries online. Click, click, click. Go to a parking spot. You phone a number. I'm here. And for five bucks, they come and deliver everything to your vehicle. Like, whoa. Think about online shopping. Amazon had a profit of $48 billion in 2011. You go, oh, that's a lot of money. $48 billion. Okay, so 10 years ago. In 2020, their profit was $386 billion. If you bought $1,000 worth of Amazon stock in 2011, it would right now be worth about $16,000. And I'm like, why didn't I buy Amazon stock? Um, we, we've gone from PVR machines. Remember PVRs? Remember when you were excited when the cable company, if you had cable, I had like here and there, but they'd like give you a really nice PVR that had a lot of capacity on it to store your shows. Well, now we've gone to just dozens of streaming services, like how many is there even now, that you pay monthly for, and so everything's on demand whenever you want it. New vehicles, they're integrated now with Apple and Android technology so that you get into your vehicle and everything syncs right to your phone. You have a tap screen on your vehicle. I don't have this, but supposedly, you know, I've seen this on vehicles. You get in and, and it's like literally your Apple phone right there, apps and everything on your screen. Uh, BMW has a new electric vehicle that is now synced and equipped with Amazon's Alexa, their voice assistant technology. So now, now you speak to Alexa in your vehicle, and it syncs with all the stuff you have in your home, so you get home and you tell Alexa to turn on your lights, and I'm like, wow. TikTok, uh, not on it, don't think I'll ever want to be on it, but social media platform that was started in 2012, so not even 10 years ago, where people share videos online, okay, that's all it really is. It's now valued at $50 billion US. Now, I'm lying in bed this week, and uh, <laughs> our windows are open, and our air conditioner starts as I'm lying there. And I'm like, oh, man, why'd the air conditioner start? We don't need the air conditioner on. I'm like, oh, hold on. I have an app on my phone for that. Go on to my app on my phone. I'm like, look at this, Jess. Air conditioner off. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy. There is an app for almost everything now. And I'm not, like, I'm not even joking. Maybe that will be better. Is, is it any wonder? No, no, it's okay. Yeah, oh, sure. Is, is it any wonder, like given all of this, and I'm just touching like the tip of the iceberg, that given the massive change in culture that we find ourselves gravitating to a shift in how we look at our spiritual lives and our connection and involvement with the church. Like, yeah, there, there's aspects of our lives that feel similar to 10 years ago, right? Like, there is. There's things that we do that, like, this feels pretty similar to what we did 10 years ago. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But there's also this massive shift in how we communicate and relate with the world around us. And it's surprising, it, or sorry, it's not surprising that how we do church is changing when you consider all the shifts around us. But here's the pertinent question that has to be asked. What is all this doing to us? What is happening? How is this shift changing what we think and what we do? How is it actually shifting how you think and process through things? How much of all in all of this is allowing us to pull away from others and from engaging in the lives of others? 
So one of the things I contemplated, or I was thinking like I lived when I was in this time of isolation due to COVID, is that you cannot in any way simulate lack of human connection. When you have lack of human connection, you feel it, and it's not good. Right? And, and sometimes we have experiences where it really, it's like, it's impressed upon us, like, whoa. But, but we have been conditioned to disregard human connection in the last 18 months in the name of safety served with a steady dose of fear. And I'm not, like, going to debate that. I'm just saying it's a fact that we have been conditioned to disregard human connection, and it's happening. So... This is part two of, of what initially I thought, oh, this will be one message. Um, and, and then I just, you know, I found as, as I worked through, it's like we need time to process the question, why do we gather? And, I, and I, I, I so appreciated the feedback last week that we had, a little bit of that dialogue together, like why do we gather? We're now 18 months into what has been a seismic shift on the earth. It's on the earth. It's a global scale. I, I've lost count. I don't even know how many months in the last 18 months have we been out of actually in-person church. I, I don't know. It's an, a number. Uh, but it's been difficult and long enough to sow very destructive habits into our lives when it comes to presence in the church. There, there is a certain segment, if you, if you listen to studies and um, various things that Barna and others are doing, that there's a certain segment of the church that was here pre-COVID that is like no longer part of the church. So you think about this. Like think about this in the last 18 months. No family night events. No Sunday coffee time. No potlucks. Limited home group interaction. Very few nights of in-person prayer. I, I, I feel grieved by so much of that. We, we have lost so many points of connecting with one another. And we must contend. I believe this is absolutely crucial. We must contend for presence with one another. We must strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Last week, so we talked about uh, our need to build others up, and then we talked about the need to be built up. It's sort of two sides of the same coin. And, and the truth is that we need one another to grow and mature in Christ. We need it. The, it's the crucial importance of this thing we call formation in our lives. What are we becoming? Which is one, that, that question, folks, what are we becoming? What are you becoming? Is one of the pertinent questions of the Christian life. Because the journey with Christ is one of an incremental journey of healing and transformation and becoming something. And either we're becoming like something else or we're becoming like Christ. So, we continue today. Why do we gather? And let's, I want to just continue with this question. The first point today, building on last week, is we gather to be known and loved. Now, now I, and I don't think that we talk about this enough, this particular point. 
We, we talk about loving our neighbor a, a fair bit in the church, the need to be Jesus around to those around us. And Jesus said, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we like, that's a pretty important commandment. We're like, right, yes, we need to do that. But the people, look around, folks, the people to your right and left are your neighbor. Just take, like, look around, look at one another. This, these, these are your neighbors. Biblically, everyone is your neighbor. There's not a separate category for those who are in the church. Even if sometimes we wish there was. There's not. And the New Testament has a lot to say about how we treat one another in the church. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Philippians 2, in humility, count others as more significant, meaning more important than yourself. Have the same mindset there, it says, of Jesus. What was the mindset of Jesus? Looking to serve, laying down your life, walking in humility. He says, have the same mind as that. Have that as the characteristics that guide you and drive you. Galatians 6 says, let us do good to other people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, the context there is to your local church. That's the reason right there. Right there, Galatians 6 is the reason to do all sorts of good to one another. Especially, yeah, we're to do good to everyone. Yes, but especially actually to those that you are joined to. What all this points to is the need, all those things, to be known, to be known. Transparency, vulnerability, humility, openness, generosity, care. It's, it's all pointing to that. In a, and in a world of strife and polarization, and that's the world we're living in right now, just this unbelievable polarization where you, you can hardly believe how things are being pitted, how people are being pitted against one another. Even by our leaders now going, let's, let's create us and them. You go, is it possible for even for the church to be known for this right now in the world that we're living in? Now, when you ask that, you have to gather to foster this, do you not? More than that, even more than that, yes, we need to gather. We have to share life together. Does that happen through a screen? It, it, it doesn't. Like, we know that. We, of course it doesn't. Does it just happen organically if there's an absence of presence? No. And supporting this call to relationship with one another is love. 1 Peter 1.22, it's the call to love one another deeply there. It's on the screen behind me. Now, the thing about this, love doesn't just involve warm, affectionate feelings and words. Certainly that's part of it. Love involves hard conversations, walking through differences, getting stuff out into the open, talking with those involved. Mark 10, where Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler and he's, and he's, he's appealing to him. What's directing his life? And it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He also said a lot of hard things to him. 
Love is also ultimately sacrificial. It's laying down our lives for others. It's overlooking an offense. It's also not about dodging hard conversations. So, okay, guys, let's just be honest. This is where love in the church can get really messed up. Because we claim love because we pretty much have to. Like, how can the church not claim love? We'd be, we know we'd be defying the very thing that we're to be defined by. And, and so we have to claim that. But in reality, we might choose not to or find it difficult to, to walk in a manner that fosters authentic and deep love for one another, especially if someone disagrees with me. Well, now I've got reason not to love that person. And the danger that kills love this is the thing too, resides in every one of us. It resides in me, it resides in you, it resides in every one of us, and that's pride and arrogance. Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You go, wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds incredible. And yet we know how brutally difficult it is to achieve this. First John Chapters 3 and 4 has a ton to say about love, more, more than we have time to get into this morning. But it's call to love in 1 John, really throughout all of 1 John, the call to love among us is crystal clear. And we need this reminder in these days. 1 John 4 verses 19 to 21. It's really simple in some respects. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In the way of Jesus, there's no allowance to hate anyone. There's no exceptions. There's no special clauses over here for this person or that person. In fact, 1 John 3, when it's speaking of hate, it uses the example of Cain and Abel. And, and Cain and Abel, when you, when you look at that story, it was hatred that was birthed in jealousy and envy. And Cain was insecure. It was insecurity on his part. When 1 John 3 then speaks of love, it speaks of love pointing to the way of Jesus, laying our lives down for one another, generosity marking our lives with our actions and in truth. You can just go read through 1 John 3 and it's all there. We sacrificially love one another as we follow Jesus and we live in his life. That's what he says there. Now, you go, well, that sounds great. It is a hundred times more difficult to live this out than it is for me to sit up here, or sorry, stand up here and say that. Super easy to get into this and go unpack it a little bit. Now let's live it. Why is it so difficult? Because we all deal with offense. We all deal with memories and situations where we feel wronged. We're all bringing learned behaviors to our relationships from our families and opinions that have been formed as a result of that. We're, we're bringing all those experiences into our relationships with one another. 
And we can be led to believe that this offense that we might carry, and we might not even, we, we may realize it, but we're not really willing to deal with it. We can be led to believe that this justifies our actions and feelings towards others. And this isn't about excuses. Like, well, I, I, don't, I don't hate them. I just don't really like them. That, that's, this is about what's happening in our hearts, folks, in our souls. And, and really what it's getting down to is, are we allowing Jesus to touch the deepest parts of our souls and what's buried in our lives that plays into every single relationship that we have? The, the thing that I think, and like, do you realize as a follower of Jesus, if you're being obedient to Scripture, you are not allowed to hate anyone. You are not allowed to have feelings of animosity towards anyone. I don't think, I, I really don't think we actually live like that. I think we have all manners of layers of justification to go, yeah, well, that's okay. And, and we don't talk about it in the church. We do not talk about this. But the way of Jesus is the way of love. Now, important clarification in this, actually really important clarification. This is not giving room for abuse of any kind or tolerating abusive behavior in the name of love. We, we may have to actually end relationships that are harmful while making the choice, and it is sometimes brutally hard, making the choice not to walk in hatred toward that person. And amidst the brokenness of a fallen, depraved world, this is what the church can be and must be. Not superficial love. Now, it, it takes time to be growing a culture like this. We, you know, if we have a desire to grow a culture like this in the church, it takes time. That a culture that embraces people creates safe spaces to be known and loved. And here's the thing, because this is, it's part of who we are. It's part of how God has made us. People long to be known and loved. People long for this in their lives. Now, it won't be without challenges and misunderstandings, etc. Yes. But, but to wrestle with the necessity of this for our lives um, and amongst us is needed. We, we all come with stuff that makes relationships difficult, awkward, and confrontational at times. This isn't unique to the church. This, this is like, welcome to the world. This is the, we, we all bring stuff, stuff that we've experienced, stuff that we've lived through, all that stuff, all family of origin stuff, and it all gets, it all comes out in our relationships with others, and it's everywhere. But because we're aware of our need for Jesus and his healing in our lives, we're not content. Hopefully, hopefully we're not content to have this remain in our lives. And we were created to be known. We were created to be loved. Amidst all the challenges of relational interaction, we have a desire for deep connection 
and relationship with others. So recognizing this, creating opportunities for growth and health in this area, fostering this through different ways is an objective that we desire and, and want to be committed to pursue. But, but that is dependent. All of this is actually dependent to presence with one another. So you don't, you, don't, you, you don't do this just on your own. You don't do this through screens. You don't do this by remaining isolated. We do this together. John Mark Comer, um, I'm, I've been reading a book that he's going to be releasing right away. I, it, it's so, so good. I'll just say that. And I'm, I'm excited for people to read it. But it's called Live No Lies. And he, I read this this week. He says, as a pastor... I could tell you countless stories of people who have walked into sin or even walked away from God and it always starts with drifting away from community with other solid followers of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, just being in the presence of a good spirit or relational being is itself transformative because we become like the people we spend time with Well, yeah, it's funny where that cut out, right? Isn't, okay, I, whatever it is, this is funny where it cut out because this is what the quote. Because we become like the people we spend time with for better, hopefully, but also for worse. So who you spend your time with, like kids... When we talk about influences, right, in the kids' lives, who we spend time with matters. I'm not saying we just create holy little huddles and then that's all we do. No, 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 no. That's, but we need a place where we are being formed together and we're pushing one another into Jesus. Can we turn me down a little bit? Is that... I'm, I just feel really hot up here. Okay. Okay. So... We gather to build others up. We gather to be built up, to be known and loved, and we gather to seek God's presence. Rich Valados, he's a, a pastor in Brooklyn. Uh, if you don't follow him on social media, if you're on social media and you want to follow a, a pastor, uh, I'd highly recommend following him. He's awesome. Rich Valados. Uh, he said this recently. He noted this. He said, In worship, we are not brought into God's presence. Rather, we are brought into greater awareness of God's presence. That's, that's a really important distinction, folks. Really important. We do not want to live, because what, what that quote is, what he's getting at there is, we do not want to live in compartmentalized worlds. Sacred over here, secular over here. Everything is God's. Everything. So, what he's saying there is there is to be no separation, an important aspect. 
crucial aspect of authenticity in our lives, right? And as Jen, she reminded us back a couple weeks ago in her message, worship is far more than what we do here on a Sunday morning. So why do we gather? To seek God's presence, yes. But worship is not just about what we do here on a Sunday morning. We are called to give our lives in sacrificial worship. But there is something profoundly important, profoundly biblical about seeking and going after the presence of God together. Now, that's kind of what I want to, I want to just camp on this here for a little bit because desire and longing to encounter God and experience more of his presence, there's something profound about that together. Being intentional in bringing ourselves to this place, creating time and space for this in our lives. You go, well, Paul, where does the Bible talk about that? Well, all over the place, but I'm just going to, I'm going to just give a few things and note a couple um, passages here. Psalm 22.3 speaks of God being present amidst the praises of his people. Psalm 84 verses 1 and 2, the psalmist speaks of his soul longing to encounter the presence of the living God. And, and the context there is amidst the people. Psalm 122.1 then, we sang this this morning. Rejoicing with others, let us go to the house of the Lord together. The psalmist says, I'm rejoicing as I go with others. When Jesus, when he speaks of the Lord's prayer, which is inviting the reign of God and his kingdom into our lives, Jesus is speaking there of prayer together. He's not speaking about prayer on our own. He's actually speaking about what we do together. Right. In his classic book, and, and I, if you have not read this book and you can get your hands on it, um, read it. But Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, he speaks in there of our time of worship together in the church. And, and I, think, I think there's so much wisdom and anointing in what he writes. I, I do. I, th- I think it's powerful. And, and I, I, I reread it to just remind myself of it. Foster, he begins with the premise that when even one or two of us come into worship with a holy expectancy, it changes the atmosphere in the room. Like, as we encounter God's presence, hearts and minds are lifted upward. That the air, he says, becomes charged with expectancy. Now, I want to I show us here a video and, uh, just shortly. You guys, if you guys are ready, and queued up, Thomas. But last Saturday, saw the return. Not yet. No, go back. You're ruining it. No, it's okay. <laughs> last Saturday... It, it's okay, guys. It saw the return of people to in-person college football in the U.S. And it was crazy. Um, but for the first time in almost two years, people gathered in Wisconsin. And I think, I didn't look it up, but I think that stadium, like it's probably eighty to 90,000 people. It's huge. And I happened to see a clip of the game in Wisconsin. I'm going to show it to you. Where they have this tradition at the start of the fourth quarter, they, they play the jump around song. You're going to hear it. It's okay for church. But it's like just, it's incredible what goes on in that stadium. The, and, and you see it in this clip, the sheer joy of people being back together. Where they're like, they're, there's something about we're back together again. Okay, so now before we play it, I showed it to my sister 
Because I was like, I said, like, you got to see this. And she said, she remarked last week, she said, can you imagine if we responded in worship like this? And I, I, and I, and I, and then we had this discussion, like, why don't we? So, guys, make sure the sound is queued up too, because that's important. Nope, go back. It's not queued up. Now try. And we are ready for one of the great experiences in college football. House of Pain. Everlast. On the mic. Here we go. It's been 651 days. job, Thomas. Yeah, I watched that, and, and I, I love football, full disclosure. The, the air is charged there. I think we would agree on that, but it has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, I'd love to experience that. I would. That'd be really neat to be there. Hopefully the engineers knew what they were doing when they designed the stadium. But, but what, here's the question. But what if we came expectant like that to seek God's presence together? Because half the battle is actually how we come into our times together. I, I've been to an NFL game. And the thing is about games like that, college football, NFL, the expectancy births excitement. 
You come expectant for what you are going to experience, and it is exciting. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I think it's good. It's a good reminder to stir us that there's been particular instances of coming into times of worship. At some, sometimes at wider uh, conferences that I that we've been at, or or certain gatherings, and we experience this where you come in and there is, the air is electric and there's something about expectancy. We're, ex, we're excited and expectant to encounter God's presence. And those times are beyond sweet. Like they, they are, they are beyond anything you can sometimes even explain on this earth because it's heaven touching earth and it's encountering God in a way that you don't normally. And it's incredible. What, and, I, and so I, I asked myself, and, and you might ask, like, what marked those times? A wide expectancy and hunger for God's presence, along with a couple other characteristics. One being tangible unity together and surrendered hearts. When you have that, you have expectation, you have tangible unity, you have surrendered hearts, you have an expectancy to encounter God. It's incredible how God moves amongst his people. And here's the thing. There is no reason why that can't happen here every single Sunday. Because this is the main objective of why we pray. Every Sunday, this is why we pray before the service. Do you know why we, really the reason why we come together and we pray? It's we ask God to make us aware of his presence and we ask for expectant hearts. Again and again, we do, we do almost the same thing every week because we're like, God, we need you. We need you to be here with us. We need to be aware, made more aware of your presence. Because if we're just going in the strength of our own might, if I'm just preaching up here in the strength of my own might, like forget it. Like go home. Watch college football instead. And, and here's the thing, I get it. Some Sundays we come and for a whole host of reasons, we don't feel very expectant. We don't feel like engaging. We've had this go on in the morning. We've had this squabble in our house. That We've had this happen with our kids or with our spouse or whatever. We woke up and we just like, we just don't feel good or whatever. We, and we come and we're like, ah, I don't feel like it. Worship is a choice, folks. You can actually take authority over your emotions and surrender them to God and choose to engage because he's worthy of our praise. It's not because I feel like it. God, I actually don't feel like it this morning. I don't feel like singing that song. I feel like a hypocrite singing that song. God's like, it doesn't matter, Paul. I'm worthy. You worship you surrender your heart to me. So I want to I get practical because Richard Foster gets practical about how we can create this expectancy in our lives for the presence of God. And I think this is so great. So he begins, he says, throughout the week. So he's not talking. It's not just about Sunday mornings, right? He says, 
throughout the week, listen for the voice of God, obeying his word. As you create room for this, he says, during the week, it gives you confidence that you will hear the Lord as we gather together. Then he says, enter the service 10 minutes early. I think this is so good. Enter early, lift your heart in adoration to the King of glory. So come in and just be preparing your heart for meeting with God, lifting him up. Contemplate his majesty, glory, and tenderness revealed in Jesus. Invite the real presence of Jesus to be made manifest. Do do you do that ever? You come in and you're like, Jesus, I want your tangible presence to be manifest in here. Inviting him. Next, he says, lift up into the light of Christ, the pastor and other worship leaders. This is so important. Picture the glory of God surrounding them. Inwardly release them to speak the truth boldly in the power of the Lord. So then as you're, there, as you're here doing this, as people enter the room, glance around until you see someone who needs your intercessory work based on their physical countenance or whatever. You just see, like you see that person, they need, they need the Lord. They need the Lord this morning. I see it. I see, I see Carlin needs more of Jesus this morning. I see Carlos needs more of the Lord's presence this morning. Whatever, you just see it. Lift them up into the glorious light of God's presence. Hold them up in prayer throughout the service. And this is what he says then. He says, if, any, if only a few in any given congregation will do this, it will deepen the worship experience of all. And if we all did that, like if we all did that, I just want to ask, do you think we would encounter God's presence here differently? Throughout the history of the church, there, there's been this understanding that we ga- when we gather, it is into the unity of the Spirit that transcends our individualism. It's not a, just about me. So I want to I touch on something that is, I want to quickly touch on something that's to our own detriment if we avoid in all this. Those of you who may actually go, well, I really experience, I really struggle to experience this. And I've actually found myself growing cynical over time. I am not talking about presence here just for the sake of really good, you know, charismatic, happy, clappy times. You know, we just, we just want to feel good. More, you know, where it's kind of this, this more of an emotional high more than anything. We're all for passion and excitement when it's authentic in its earnest desire of God. But this isn't simply about having a good time or a pick-me-up emotional time. We want to be overcome with joy in God's presence. We want to encounter the joy of heaven. But here's the thing. We can sometimes be too quick to try and come into this joy. Because we, we almost feel this pressure that we got to manufacture it or fake it 
or I don't, I'm not feeling it. And, well, look at that person. They're feeling it. Well, that person, how come they're feeling it and I'm not feeling it? And so, ah, I just, like, I want to, and, and then it becomes this kind of earnest, how am I going to experience this? If any of you with me on that, like any of you experience that in worship where you're kind of like, you feel this, this push to try and manufacture something? Or then we're led to believe, we look around and we're like, well, I guess this isn't for me. And we grow disillusioned and we grow discouraged. Richard Foster, he speaks about this as well in that chapter on worship. The importance of joy in our lives that comes from the spiritual disciplines. Prayer. Study of scripture. Worship fasting, etc., the spiritual disciplines. Being, he says, when those things are active in our lives, the transforming work of the Spirit comes as a result of those practices in our lives. And the danger, actually, is that we can try to manufacture joy apart from that. So this is what he says. He says, many people try to come into joy too soon, Often we try and pump up people with joy when in reality nothing has happened in their lives. God has not broken into the routine experiences of their daily existence. Hannah Whittle Smith, she wrote about this in her book, Christian Secret to a Happy Life. And she said, the joy of obedience. Joy comes through obedience to Christ and joy results from obedience to Christ. Without obedience, joy is hollow and superficial. But when we are cultivating joy in Jesus in our lives, it's a gift to come together and seek God's presence with others. And it's forming our hearts for praise with others. This is the thing. Regardless of how professional the editing, regardless of how great the musicians are, you cannot get that on a screen. You cannot, when we're talking about this encountering God's presence and the joy of his presence together, you don't get that from a screen. It's impossible. All right, I want to wrap up this morning uh, with, with just a, a short focus on another crucial answer to this question, why do we gather, really quickly. We gather together to witness to the world. Because in this, in this gathering that we're doing in our lives, this formation that we are committed to, there is this declaration of our allegiance to Jesus and his church being, this is who I am, this is who we are, this is what we do. We gather as God's people. Don't allow culture to lie to you and tell you that it's not necessary or important. And, and there's an aspect of this that witnesses to the world. Perhaps even more, this will witness to the world. As culture goes, those Christians that do that, that's kind of fringe or that's kind of weird. It's a witness. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 so that, those chapters, they speak about the gifts, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst. We dug into that last year. But at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, in speaking about the gift of tongues and prophecy, it speaks of those who don't know Jesus, who are not believers, coming into the church 
and their hearts being gripped by what they're hearing so that they actually lead, it leads them to repent and worship God. That's an important aspect not to miss. We gather together to create room for other people to come in and to experience and to encounter God. Believers and unbelievers. What we are doing here, having an open public gathering, is an invitation to people. Come and experience God. And our commitment to gather and join together creates opportunities for those who don't know Jesus to come and be welcomed and to experience God. It is a witness to the world around us. And so this is, you know, that's really, that really gets down to why our desire for our online ministry. Online ministry, whatever that evolves into in the days to come, is that it would attract those outside the church who don't know Jesus, who maybe don't know what this is all about, the encounter that they would come and that they would plug into our church and they would experience God with us. They would encounter God. They would come and experience our collective witness. All right. So I want to end. Uh, Jen, you can, you can come up. Uh, with the team. Um, I want to I just leave us with some questions sort of from last week and from this week together. I want to I leave you with some application again out of a desire that we would live this out and, and put this before the Lord and have him speak to us. So here's some questions for you to put before the Lord. Number one, how can I seek to build others up in these days within LCF? Two, where would I like to be built up in the church? What can I do about that? Three, am I able to open myself up to be known and loved within the body? What might be preventing this in my life? Four, in these days, what can I do to make effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and peace in LCF? And fifth, how can I grow in care for others? I think I forgot the I there. Did I? Oh, yeah, I did. Sorry. How can I grow in care for others, coming alongside others to help? Where do I need to forgive and walk in repentance with others? There's a lot there, right? That's, that's, a, that's a lot. Um, we'll, we'll put those out this week. Um, on our social media channels if you didn't get a chance if you want if you want them and um, application's really important right in all of this the way and, and God is speaking to us throughout these messages and there's things the Holy Spirit's probably prompting you and you're, you're writing stuff down but application is really important in all of this stuff so that we're not just hearers of the word but doers of the word let's uh Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the way that you call your people to yourself, the way that you have made us 
in the very fabric of our beings to have relationship and connectedness with one another in the church. And Lord, we recognize that we are, we are swimming against a tide of culture, Lord, that doesn't value this, doesn't honor this, Lord, and, and doesn't place an importance on this. And so Holy Spirit, we are asking for your help that we would be people of the word, that we'd be people who are, we, we are people of the book. We are people who are defined by our allegiance to Jesus and to his word in these days. And Lord, we want to ask that you would, as you help us to live this out, Lord, we ask that others would be drawn. Lord, we want to ask that you would help us to draw others in our lives, that you'd give us opportunities. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would be drawing others. And God, we ask again, as we've talked about this morning, Jesus, would you help us in every way by the power of your spirit in us to strive to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in these days in the bond of peace. Lord, that we would be marked as people full of surrender, full of humility, full of the presence of Jesus in us that it would flow through us, every part of us, that we'd be marked as people who are led by the Spirit, people of peace, that we, are, we will push back against divisiveness, against those things that would seek to just create division both inside and outside the church. Lord, that we would be people who are like Jesus in every way. And we cannot do that on our own. I am wholly unable to do that, Lord, and I know that my brothers and sisters are in the same boat. We need your spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you for how you're working in us in these days. Continue, continue, continue to form us into the image of Jesus. Amen.